It's a good show. Okay, this is Moses Allison, and you're listening to Radio 8-Ball with Andros Jones. a shake We're in the studio tempting fate Wherever you are Putting questions to the songs which we will randomly Select here with the help of our friend Synchronicity And now it's time for Back to Radio 8 Ball, the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions like picking musical tarot cards. I'm your host, Andras Jones, here at Starburns Industries with Myra Flynn. What's up? Well, you know, I'm just hanging out with you, enjoying your music and your friends and uh, digging it. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of, <laughs> I just jump right in, man. Yeah. Speaking of, we have Savon. I'm in these streets. What's going on? Welcome to Radio Eight, Paul Savon. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, the the good the crazy thing is I didn't know you did that live. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. I thought it was taped. Yeah. MP3s. I was like, no one does that to their voice every time. <laughs> every not, single time. Every single time. Not. It's not. It's I do this show standing up. I need the energy. This is, it re-energizes things every time. It, yeah, wakes me up. That's what I use wine for. Yeah, yeah. use that diaphragm, buddy. <laughs> so, uh, so I, you were almost going to be. You're going to be. You were almost going to be a part of this throughout, like playing, performing alongside, right? I was, yes. But yeah. we decided just you're going to. You're just asking a question now. But you are collaborators, big time. We do, and um, I just decided I don't. I don't like you today. <laughs> no, so no. she's like, I want to play the keys and sing at the same time. We were because... only slated for three songs. Stop it! Don't listen to him <laughs> for anything. By the she way, so out, you man. have to understand a big thing about our relationship is he just gives me shit the entire time. Brother, Every sister, ninety nine all the way. Percent totally, of the totally. I do. Yep, just shit giving. Yeah. Um, after but hello. After no, maybe not even that. Yeah, well, true. I, I was just trying to be nice for yeah, the listeners. That's nice of you. Um, no, but we were only slated to do three songs together that we mm-hmm. had prepared because mm-hmm. we do them really well. And so then it was like, Savan, do you want to be here from five until ten in case one of those songs pops up? And it was just too and much. It was too math. big an ask. No. Yeah, it's yeah. too big an ask. So it's all right. I am a independent. Your plan? I would not. Plays I'm, the old piano myself. I'm not feeling like there's anything See? missing there. There you go. That's what she told me. He's not. <laughs> she was like, what are you doing? I could do this. Blindfolded, son. Yeah, blindfolded. <laughs> no. I was just... So yeah. uh, so where did you connect? Where, how, how did you get to know How'd each that other? How happened, Why don't you go ahead and take this I one? was... Um, uh, Myra's an, uh, an artist teacher at ICA. Mm-hmm. 
and I was introduced by a mutual friend named Mike. And he said, hey, man, come check out ICA. It's a, it's a music organization for kids. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a music center. It's, it's an art center in the middle of Skid Row, but it's super fancy. It is. It's like it's an oasis students. of art. It's an oasis of like art. Like ICA. Inner city arts. It's it's funny. Like I was telling you, and I talked about it. We just we just came from Boston where I did four, we recorded four episodes at this place, The Record Company, <laughs> which sounds like it might be different but similar in the sense that it's a really high-end place in an area that doesn't have a lot of high-end places for artists Mm -hmm. with the whole goal of making art and these resources available, Mm -hmm. particularly to young people who wouldn't have it. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. That's great. a charter situation, especially now that they've cut a lot of the arts programs in in public schools. Mm -hmm. So instead, they spend their Friday doing all the arts possible in one day. So it's like music, ceramics, do do it all at once. And speaking of the Boston thing, um, Savannah is also co producing the record in that Boston area that I spoke about earlier. So oh, yeah. we'll be going. And, what, and you should say, what is the, what is the record you're producing? <laughs> I don't know the name. Is there a name no, of it? No, it doesn't have it a has name. A name yeah. it's, it's still a work in progress. really long. It's like 25 songs long so far. So yeah. we're going to be on this for a while. So what's the, oh, who's the artist? <laughs> it's an independent artist. Yeah, this this dude named Steve who used to be a former student That's of mine. That's the artist named this dude named Steve. This dude named Steve? <laughs> Steve what? Um, Shell Tice. Shell Tice. Yeah, and he's uh, he's an independent artist who um, basically just was under my stewardship for songwriting just like independently and then just decided to go in for the full album experience and then I'm obviously connected with some really great folks out here in LA and he's just been like mind blown at how many you know great people I've, I've brought and now he's got the bug you know the studio yeah. bug where he's just like itching he's like when are you guys coming back when are you coming back when are you coming back so 25 so songs back. Yeah. 25 songs 25 songs dope studio so it's a really beautiful studio in Springfield West Springfield West yeah. Springfield it's just outside of Boston right so it's like she's um Myra's put together she knows a lot of people she put together a really good team and uh so it's a, it's a great experience her ability to pull together a really good team is something I do not doubt because she's done it for my show. See, yeah, That's I don't know why I rolled deep down. with these awesome people, but and I'm she very gives lucky. us crack. <laughs> and I give them crack. what? <laughs> I pay them. Hey. <laughs> this is how rumors start. Pay them in crack? <laughs> yeah, just yeah, man. just a little drugs on the side. No, yeah, this is know. not even funny anymore. Now it's like weird. Yeah, stop joking about crack. I know. Yeah. I would. I crack would like to. You know, somebody else who keeps bringing it up. Crack is whack. So that's all we met. So she had me. Yeah. In, long, long story short, she uh, asked me to speak on a panel. Oh. And so uh, we uh, spoke on the panel. Uh, spoke with uh, Jay. Jay was there. Jay was there. Jay was there. Gabe. Gabe was there. Basically, this whole your whole crew from this. It just keeps you. Ha- you invite the same people. Are they all going to? No, but you no. have to understand this is my tribe. So yeah. it's like you know, I actually don't really function with a lot of people outside of this. Right. She more, started more that way. She started with the snowflake, and now it's a snowball. Ooh. She just collects people. <laughs> See how I just turn that into the same thing? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, I'm on fire, man. I'm you on know, fire. You're not on fire. Snowflakes on fire. have been getting a bad bad rap these days, so that's oh. good. I like that you're bringing it back. So, okay. uh, so, and what about you? So you work so together, but layers. do you do stuff, like you obviously do stuff on your own as well? I do. Yeah. Um, you just like to know what that is. I am. That's why, I, that's why I'm asking you. <laughs> so I'm a um, musician, producer, so my nine to five, I play keys, mm-hmm. and I play keys for Smokey Robinson, so I tour with him uh throughout the week and then I come back and then do projects like local projects independent projects and stuff like that 
I'm kind of in awe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Smokey Robinson. Smokey Robinson is one of the. He's a cool dude. We'll we'll tribute him one way or the other, but he's one of those artists who just is a songwriter. Yeah, Phenomenal. He's, he's like Mount Rushmore. Like that's. Yeah. He's like when you that list. Yeah. He's definitely on that. You know. He's yeah. definitely a songwriter to the heart. Yeah. He still writes like like voraciously. So that must be amazing getting to tour with it. There's it's there's this whole thing of in I, I assume we're in like I say our generation like there's a some some spread I don't know what uh, what how old you are but of people who are I guess of our generation play, backing up or playing with those cats like I know a lot of people who are playing with Brian Wilson's band who are more my generation playing with him or but to get to go out and be on the road with Smokey Robinson playing those songs. Yeah. What is that? I it's mean, a trip. it's like, um, you know, from a, a musician perspective, you kind of start off, um, you learn how to play or whatever. And then you start playing in clubs and then you do covers. Mm -hmm. So you're always doing the cover of the song as the artist. And then you go from, to go from that to playing with the actual artist. Mm -hmm. It's like a... That you did the cover of. You did the cover of, like, you know what I'm saying? I was like, yeah, yeah. I used to do this in a small bar. I used to do, you know, um, cruising or whatever like that. And so it's, it's a it's a trip to just be in that space. I remember, like, the first two or three gigs, um, my most memorable moments, like, I did the first, like, the first show I was doing, I had, like, charts and stuff around, you know, you nervous, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, he used to come in with this song, uh, Going to a Go-Go. Do, 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 right? Man, he has the smoothest Detroit walk. And I happened to, he was in my eye line. And he was like, he, he literally, we start the song and he starts a ways back. So he has to walk up and he always does it. He never starts on stage. And his whole swag just, just, he just vibes out. And it was just like the coolest moment. I was like, this dude is Detroit all day. Walks on stage, <laughs> suited up, perfectly pressed every time. Gets on. Da, 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 da. I was like, oh, that's so I love sick. how this is like the third time I've heard that exact story from you, <laughs> yeah. too, because it had that much of an impression on you. Yes. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I have my moments. And that, and that was, uh, so it's cool. And it's like beyond the, the musicianship of the gig, um, it's the stories. It, it, it's the stories is worth it all. He remembers everything, everybody. He's seen everything mm -hmm. and everybody. And my musical heroes growing up, he was their musical hero. Right. So it's like, so you talk to him like about Mike. He's like, yeah, I remember, I remember Mike when he came in, like as a little kid. I was like, it's crazy. Like <laughs> he thinks of yeah. Mike as this kid that came in that was super talented. And, you know, we're on like Thriller and like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the Mike that we know, this yeah. iconic Mike. And every, yeah. it's amazing to be in a person's space that, he has that relationship with basically everybody. Yeah, the Beatles, they were huge fans. Like they, they were, were fans. Yeah. They were fans. They were they they came to America. They want that's who they wanted to see. Yeah. Right. It's uh it, it it's yeah. He's it's just unfathomable. Unfathomable. And yeah. he's like he's very he's super gracious. Um he's and very beautiful. I yeah. would say that, yes. And you're forgetting one thing that he loves. He don't me. like you. He don't like you. <laughs> oh, very he much. He's oh yeah. So Myra and never forgets me. <laughs> so Myra, why didn't you invite Smokey Robinson to you be know, on the show? Yeah, really since he loves you so you. much. <laughs> since he loves you so much, Myra, why didn't you give him a call? <laughs> it's all right. We'll bring him to the next uh, one. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so 
I know there's probably way too many, but is there one story he's told that you feel you'd feel comfortable sharing here that you feel like this was just like, I couldn't believe you? Like, ah. Um, I'm not going to say one story. There was, there was one day recently that was amazing. Um, we had a show in Detroit, which we often do, but we had a day off and one of, one of the group was like, hey, it would be cool if we went by Motown. And so he was like, yeah, baby, that sounds good. So we were like, okay. <laughs> so, so we were all sitting at, like, at catering because he hangs out. He's, he's, just, he's the most normal, like your big brother. So we're hanging out, and I'm like, all right, all right. So if, if we go to Motown, you got to go with us. It's not the same if you don't go with us. He's like, all right, all right. So he took us to Motown, and Motown in your head is some huge, iconic place. And it's not. It's, it's a like house. A, it's a house. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a house that you walk in, and she's like, how did all of this happen in this house? And he's like, yeah, Diana used to be um, the secretary over here, and they still had the, like, switchboard mm-hmm. and the candy machine and all of that. Uh-huh. And so and you see these pictures of Michael Jackson when he was five. Then you see the King of Pop, and mm-hmm. then you see all of these masks. You see people that you had no idea were related to Motown. So he was giving us all of these stories, and he took us by the house, and he was telling us, he was like, he was like, yeah, so Aretha used to just come by and play the piano, and then, you know, Marvin would come over and sing, it's and crazy. the Temps would just, like, everybody would just come by, they were just neighborhood kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was like, this is insane that this is like your, this is what I do after school. Mm. And it was like, he was, I think he was raised by a sister. So there was always like a million cousins over the house. This is a house full of kids. And he was the mm-hmm. first. I mean, he was the first Motown guy, right? He, yeah. he was the first main guy. Yeah. Next to like when Barry started, he was one of the first groups that came in. Um, and, and Barry was like, yeah, we're going to go ahead. And him, him, Barry, he and Barry used to compete for songwriting. Mm-hmm. And so because Barry started off as a songwriter, that was his main thing. Mm-hmm. And then um, and he, and he wrote and then Barry was like, all right, you win. Yeah, <laughs> that's a tough. It's tough to be in competition with Smokey Robinson. Yeah, right. As a yeah. right, but then you know, but to smoke is like the beautiful thing of what he was, what he was telling us about Motown is like everybody was good. Yeah. So you know, it's like when you're, he was telling us like when you're sitting at a table, and it's Barry Gordy who's also a really good writer, and then Stevie Wonder's next to him, and then Marvin Gaye is next to you, and then Rita Franklin's over there. It's like everybody's. On their game, getting yeah, off no on bad each choice. other. There's yeah, no bad choice. So it was like, and he said it was just the, it was like he told it was the time of his life. It was the best thing, the best time I ever had. He's like, you could never, I can't even explain to you how that was. And then it's just like when you relate that to, like I said, our heroes of people that we think are amazing and and sold a lot of records. And it's like to him, it's like they they came after him, and they're all like, "This is the guy." Yeah, they're all there's they're all, we're all his children. Right, 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 right. It's like that that part being on the gig is like I live for those moments because he'll just hang out and just talk, tell a story in a second. So I want to get to your question, but I do uh, just one more thing. Mm-hmm. So showing up at Motown with Smokey Robinson, what happens? Like, do is like do the people are people that are just like, "Hey, hey, Smokey," or they're like. Like uh, I'm thinking of what the whole James Corden and Paul McCartney going back to Liverpool thing that they just had. On, like everyone's like, "Oh my God, it's Paul's here!" We all we all we ever talk about is Paul McCartney, and now he's here. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, <laughs> it's like he walks because he literally walked up, he walked off the uh, oh, wow. the transportation. We got out in the street, and then like people were just like, "Is that uh, smoking?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Everybody just start you start hearing. 
strips and yeah. pattern and everything like so it was it was crazy we walked in and it was just you see people scatter yeah and, I bet yeah, and then for him it's just like it's no different from you know how you start off as a musician you like you play in somebody's garage yeah so you so it's like him walking into his garage you had that nostalgic moment mm-hmm. and he's like oh man you know this is we, this is where this happened this is where this happened and they had still had a studio everything was still intact and so we recorded this here and we had to do this and we had to wear this and we had to and he was just you saw him light up and it's like man it must be cool to be you <laughs> no it must be cool to be you yeah that's what I'm sitting there like, I'm feeling are you feeling like I'm feeling like, like I'm there yeah. this man. no I mean it's like it's like yeah it's, it's, you are also part of that like super blessed paradigm that exists to even be able to witness that magic because it continues that's that yeah. true it does and it's then yeah and it's he's you know especially timing wise he's literally like the last of the icons mm. and he's in great condition and he's, you know what I mean? So it's like, we go places and it's, um, I, I get a chance to meet people. Um, like, I, like, I met Elton John and Elton John's a huge fan. Of course he is, yeah. And I was like, this is Elton John. Yeah. And he came up to us. He was like, yo, you guys mind if I sit in? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, You're like, I think it'll be okay. <laughs> you want to use my keyboard? Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's, it's like, it's moments like that. It's just so, it's, it's so many crazy. One, and one more, I almost sorry. One, one cool moment we had, um, we were in some random city in Peekskill, New York. Sure. So, just random. The hotel was garbage. Like, it was so bad. <laughs> it was the only hotel there, and nobody wanted to stay in the room. Straight so we're garbage. all sitting out, like, on the, like, uh, balcony type thing. It was, like, when I first got on the gig. And um, Smoke came out and was hanging out with us at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning, eating, like, Funyuns or something. Like I knew you were going to say Funyuns. <laughs> it's it's, it's close to Detroit. It's the thing, worst. Like yeah. Funyun, right? <laughs> right, right. So we're sitting chilling, and they were like, hey, Savon, have you, um, you ever heard Smokey do poetry before? And I was like, "Yo, you do poetry?" He's like, "Yeah, baby, you know." And I was like, I "Was like, do something, like do something if you don't mind." And so at that point, I was real polite because I was new. Uh, I was like, "Do something if you don't mind." So this cat, as good as he is as a writer in music, he's even better as a poet. Mm-hmm. If you and like, I mean, like three pages of poetry, all memorized, all in good form, mm-hmm. amazing. He's sitting. I'm sitting there. I'm like, this dude is sitting here eating chips reciting poetry I was like this is the craziest thing and he's so like uh, he just enjoys it man it's like if you could be if you could do something that you love and enjoy it as much as he has and have experienced the ups and the downs and come back in the ups and the downs and ups and downs and still be in a gracious healthy state that's the best thing ever Mm. like I I would love to like I strive to do that. I strive to be in that place early, so that it can um, I can enjoy it as much as you because you can see it. Fantastic, phenomenal. I uh, yeah, <laughs> lucky you and lucky us for getting to to hear your story. So uh, again, we could hang out. I'd like to hang out on this balcony eating funyuns, telling Smokey <laughs> Robinson stories till the end of the night. But there we need to question. get to your question. What is your question for the Pop Oracle? So my question is, are words more powerful with music are words more powerful with music okay it's a great question and now to engage the pop oracle you get to spin the wheel of eight na 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 we love it 
Song number eight. Amazing. Mm -mm. It's not my fault. (laughs) (laughs) He does that live, too. Ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't know, he does everything live. Yeah. It's it's incredible. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, This is a new one. Oh, wonderful. It'll be a show indeed. Everett, Everett, you don't know your verse on this yet. No, okay. That's what she does. face that you could love what you find you'd think so little of yourself to come to battle without swords without guns without warning anyone that you're not coming back the same and here I am the last to know that giving you my heart is giving you But it's not my fault, I swear I can't be wrong, boy You must have a masochistic heart You must like to be torn apart It's not my fault, I know I can't be wrong, boy You must have a masochistic heart You must like to be torn apart Instead of wine, I never wanted any of your time But here we are, a reservation in the sun With no one speaking expectations out loud to anyone And if I told you I would let you down Would you have traveled any less down the drain? Said you must like it You must like the pain, so it's not my fault. I swear I can't be wrong, boy. You must have a masochistic heart. You must like to be torn apart. It's not my fault. I know I can't be wrong, boy. You must have a masochistic heart. You must like to be torn apart. You must like to be torn apart, it's not my fault I swear I can't be wrong, but you must have a masochistic heart It's always the ones who think they're smart, yeah, they like to be torn apart It's always the ones who think they're smart, they all got a masochistic heart All got a masochistic heart, whoa Yeah. And that was It's Not My Fault from Myra Flynn, the answer to Savan's question. Are words more powerful with music? Yes. So I have some ideas, but Myra, tell us a little bit about the background of that song. Well, 
I'm a really tough person to be with if you can't gather. I'm a tough no. I don't know. I mean, all of this awesome comes with a price. Oof. And um Wouldn't guessed. I know, seriously. But it's just uh sometimes I think that there can be like you ever uh hear the phrase like empty barrels make a lot of noise? No. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess like skip that phrase anyway. I I guess more just like, I think if you're the loudest person in the room, it's really easy for people to say everything that is going wrong is because of that person because they're the la- you know they're the easiest one to point out. Oh, um, is this is this my is this part of my uh, diagnosis? Because this sounds like no. I relate to this. Okay, <laughs> believe it or not, I am not sure. talking about you, which is a part of your diagnosis. <laughs> yes, I, we'll get we'll, we'll we already established earlier on an episode earlier episode that my brain doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Everything in my brain is about me. Yeah. <laughs> No, but that's that's why you have a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm a musician, so we're all unpacking. Um, yeah, so I think, like, uh, I used to get really wrapped up in, like, a lot of self-loathing about that because I'm just, like, this really big character and I feel hard and I love hard and I hate not, not much, but when I do, it's like it's it's for good reason and it's mm-hmm. usually going to last. And um, And then eventually, like... I used to date all these like really sweet people that eventually would be like really upset with me in the end for being, you know, who I was. And then I'd be like, but wait a minute. Like when I got older, I'm like, this is kind of like not my fault. Like, why are you gravitating towards Mm -hmm. somebody that is this like loud, gregarious person? And then eventually like tearing me down for it in the end. So that song is like. Maybe you've got it. Maybe you're a masochist. Maybe you, maybe you <laughs> like to keep fighting. <laughs> Wait, that's the explanation. Because they, yeah, yeah. because they like the shiny thing. So it's like, well, why are you coming over to the shiny thing? Well, more so, just like not even. It's not even about them. Because that's just a statement I'll like throw away. Okay. It's more just like, it's not about me. Mm. That's more the statement. It's just kind of like, interesting. You kind of got like a thing for the. Maybe you went for the easy thing because it was the loudest thing. And then resented it mm. later on, kind of thing. So maybe you got some issues there. Mm-hmm. Uh. So what did you think about that? Is the answer <laughs> to your question, Savan? You know, I was, I was thinking that she was gonna go for the route of, you know, because you started, you were like a journalist in your earlier yeah. career, right? Yeah. So um, I'm sure that you were probably pretty good with the words. Yeah. But yet you were led to add music. Yeah. What was the reason for that? Oh, we're asking another question. Well, I mean, it kind of relates because that would make probably it's a more powerful impact if you add music. Otherwise, you probably would just stay with just writing words. Yeah. Well, I was a poet, you know, mm-hmm. I did the Def Jam poetry tours and then a journalist and then a songwriter. And I was classically trained since age four. So I remember like exactly around age 14, I like started putting my poems together with my chords. And I was it was horrible for, you know, it was horrible music. <laughs> I just tried it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so what made you keep going if it was... Well, I got signed, like, as soon as I started trying. It was so weird. So other people liked it. You just didn't really feel like I didn't it was... get it, mm. really. I've always appreciated journalism, poetry, and music for the ability to take very, very large, broad topics and condense them into short uh 
phrases that mm-hmm. are you have to make a choice about what is most meaningful to say. And I try to operate that way as a human being as well. Stop. Kind of answering the question right there. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, you have to kind of make a choice about what's most meaningful to say. And, you know, and then even more pressure if you put a melody behind it, I'd say, because you have a pattern and a rhythm and the structure of a song that you have to adhere to. So at some point, your chorus has to be the point of the song because you're going to be repeating it. Or your verse has to actually introduce people because mm-hmm. that's the start. They've got these jobs, and like I think the real amateur thing with a lot of songwriters, which is fine, and everybody who's an amateur, please keep trying to write songs. But um, a real difference between an amateur and a pro is the way that they unpack that structure to me. Right. And so, um, but but even with journalism, it's like they'd be like, go cover, you know, the world's worst like murder rape case, and then we have sold sixteen ads. On the page, so we've got three inches for your story. So, like, after you've spent months investigating this, we'd like you to condense it into this little piece and parcel because money got involved. And so, three hundred words. Yeah, it's been three hundred yeah. words to talk about like such a tragic thing. And so, and poetry, I think um, I love that too. I've always loved the punchline at the end of a poem. Mm-hmm. Like the end, like the clincher. Mm-hmm. I always skipped reading the rest of it and then saw like the last four lines. And the Beatles would say like, once you write a song, you know, whatever your bridge is, take your... Why do I keep hitting this? I'm sorry. Take She's your bridge <laughs> Take your bridge and make it your verse. Because usually by the time that you got to your bridge, it's it's become like an oppositional mm-hmm. part of the song. So usually that's the perspective you wanted to write from. So take that and start there and then level up from there. Mm. And so I think songwriting is really fun. I'm always switching my parts around and trying to level up from there. And I do think words with music can be, uh, it's better to eat your vegetables when they're hidden inside of cake. I don't like my vegetables inside of cake. No, but okay. but but like <laughs> thank you, you, <laughs> thank you. You will literally eat the cake. You know what I mean? I don't. Like, I prefer vegetables to cake. I kind of do too. Yeah, but I get what you were going with. <laughs> Nobody gets it. Yeah, I get what you're going Marley? with. Marley? Play a chord with it. If you play a chord and say it, it will make sense. <laughs> so, so what I, so, I don't like my vegetables. No, okay. <laughs> what I was thinking was just that, like. So, palatability. That's well, all I'm going to say, and I'm going to leave it alone. Well, it's more palatable in a song. A mad. The idea of a masochistic heart. It's like um, on a recent episode, we had a woman on the show in Boston who has a podcast called Dear Young Rocker. That's all. She's she she's in a band now, but she's mostly talking about being a teenager and feeling like dealing with body issues and sort of her own. Uh, I don't know. uh what what I'm not neuro, neurosis is the wrong word anxiety issues mm-hmm. and how she and how she found in the music that there was a way that the way that the music hurt felt good and allowed her to access things that she didn't she didn't that and ended up leading her out of that anxiety and out of those feelings and i think that there's like that sense of like a little bit of the poison is medicine mm-hmm. and something about like music does hurt mm-hmm. like when we're talking about Smokey robinson or we're talking about the beatles just talking about this being here listening to yeah. this that there's a way that the sweetest most beautiful music hurts in this really like you know, it feels like it's a masochism. It's a masochism because you love it. I'm certainly a masochist for sure, but at least I own up to it. I, mean, I guess this song is written for people who don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so, but aside from that's the the thing about this format, we take it out of 
the author we it's nice to know the author's intent yeah. but when we look at it from the standpoint of does music make are words more powerful with music i think well, well why because the music does it hurts in this way that opens something up and i would say whether or not you think of the heart as having an intelligence or there's a kind of heart intelligence in the brain however you want to you know yeah. lay that out there's something that music opens up the pores of your heart in a way that allows one word to hit in a different way. So I think the song was a great reflection of why that's true, why it's true that words, or how it's true, maybe not why, how it's true that words can be more powerful with music because, you know, it's because music, whether or not, even if, that's the wonderful thing about music, whether or not you're good at it, like you were saying, you didn't think you were good. You just took your poetry and put it with the chords you had. Yeah, but we're, a mess, yeah. But whenever, but the thing about music, we're all standing on the shoulders of this, this science of this math of music that you don't have to be great to play three chords that will have the same effect uh, effect on someone as if they are played by someone who's great. Mm-hmm. Like if you can learn a Smokey Robinson song, you can play a Smokey Robinson song. And it's not like those songs are so outlandishly complex that someone who's just been playing an instrument for a year doesn't have access to the same power that you have or True. that Smokey Robinson has mm-hmm. because music is that We've thing. covered a Smokey song. Yeah? Which one? Yeah, Cruiser. Cruiser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We do it justice when we're no Smokey Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I hear you. And, it's like, and, and other thing added to it as well is like, um, you know, music, it, it, there's no language barrier. Mm-hmm. So you can you can get the same point across through just by a person yeah. if they don't understand the language as well. It's universal. So, it's universal. So, I mean, there's an argument made mm-hmm. for that. And why was there a particular thing about uh, for you that why you asked that question, or is it just sort of like you know? I just, I just often have that debate uh, amongst different people because it's like so, sometimes it doesn't like like uh, like one of the best speechwriters of our time is uh, Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. If you add music to his words, I don't know if it needs it. It's like mm-hmm. a it's like a great dish that's made. If you add salt, it's like what are you what are you doing? It's, it's amazing as it is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But then. You have other things. If you just write it down and say it to someone, it's like it it might not hit the same way. You add music to it, you add a chord Mm -hmm. and a melody, and all of a sudden they understand it. All of a sudden, like you said, the pain translates, Mm -hmm. you know? And then there's some people like Barack Obama who I think whose voice speaking voices Very have musical. a cadence yeah uh-huh. exactly mm-hmm. like a musical mm-hmm. cadence as well. I was going to say the same thing like the great speakers they are singing in a way. Mm-hmm. It's just you know it's like great actors or there's a there is something they have that that's naturally that in, right. Yeah. yeah. And it's like they don't they don't need anything else. It's just you know some of the best songwriters they don't need they just need a keyboard and a mic. You know they don't need a full production. Mm-hmm. Some the production makes the whole you know, Alanis Morissette. It's like her production makes you feel exactly on jagged, pe- jagged, jagged little pill. Yeah, oh, such a good record. See what I'm saying? It's like yeah, without yeah. the production with it, it, it's it's probably pretty good. But the production with it, you're Did like, you oh my god. Found me, Mr. Dude. Right? You know what I mean? So I think, angry. I think Mutt Lang did that. It's like it's That's you so know. Good. So it's it's a, it's like an age old argument. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's always an interesting mm-hmm. to hear somebody else's perspective. Yeah, yeah, I'm such a lyric head and such like a word junkie that I probably wouldn't need music. But for some reason, I'm also an audiophile yeah. where I don't need words. Mm. 
But you have them both. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm the opposite. I'm a music. I listen to music first, like three times, and then I happen to notice the lyrics, and I'm like, "Oh wow, that's crazy." <laughs> that's weird that you even play with me then, because I'm like 100 in on the lyrics, and oh, I guess that's why. That's why it balances out, though. Yeah, that's why it's good to work to. Yeah, yeah. it's nice. Yeah. So, uh, is there some like, is there some chance I can get some music of yours we can throw on at the end of this podcast so people can hear? That would be amazing. What you do. <laughs> <laughs> Would be, I'll work on that. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. If not, I'll find some uh, some of my favorite Smokey Robinson poetry out there. I've seen some. I've seen him do some pieces uh, on video, like on YouTube that wow. are really. Yeah, you're right. He's he, he's he's, he's a great great he's poet. On it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, as he was as a writer in the '60s. He's he's as good as a poet. Right. Yeah. Now, some of it. If you look at look it up. Look up. Look up on. Actually, I'll put it in the. I'll, I'll put links to it in the podcast notes yeah. so you can check it out. I, I plugged your smoke. I'm just saying, give me a check. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't he give you checks already? Are you playing for, for free? Okay. No, I, okay. I want extra checks. Okay. Twenty percent. Twenty percent. Right. right. <laughs> We'd be nothing without me. <laughs> okay. Well, Savon, thank you so much for being it's on been the a show. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, yeah. Savon. Thank you, Myra. Thanks, Savon. Thanks for listening to Radio Eight Ball. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher, and check out our website and the links provided for info about past and future shows on the Radio 8 blog, our ongoing Patreon campaign, and where you can download our Radio 8 Ball app that allows you to engage the Pop Oracle directly in the form of every song ever performed in the history of Radio 8 Ball. I hope today's musical divination brings and brought the sync to you wherever you are. And until next time... I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. It's the Radio Show. Disregarding detour signs, I won't stop until you're mine. Can anyone recognize this line? It's a line from a very beautiful poet in this world that is here tonight. I'm going to stop the shenanigans. Dev Poetry, please give it up for Smokey Robinson. I love being black. I love being called black. I love being an American. I love being a black American. But as a black man in this country, I think it's a shame that every few years we get a change of name. Since those first ships arrived here from Africa that came across the sea, there were already black men in this country who were free. And as for those who came over on those terrible boats, they were called nigger and slave and told what to do and how to behave. And then Master started tripping, doing his midnight tipping, down to the slave shacks where he forced he and great-great-grandma to be together. And if great-great-grandpa protested, he got tired and feathered. And at the same time, the black men in the country who were free were mating with the tribes like the Apache and the Cherokee. And as a result of all that, we're a parade of every shade. And in this late day and age, you can be sure there ain't too many of us in this country whose bloodline is pure. But according to a geological geographical genealogy study published in Time magazine, the black African people were the first on the scene. So for what it's worth, the black African people were the first on Earth. And through migration, our characteristics started to change and rearrange to adapt to whatever climate we migrated to. 
And that's how I became me and you became you. So if we're going to go back, let's go all the way back. And if Adam was black and Eve was black, then that kind of makes it a natural fact that everybody in America is an African-American. Everybody in Europe is an African-European. Everybody in the Orient is an African-Asian and so on and so on. That is, if the origin of man is what we're going to go on. And if one drop of black blood makes you black like they say, then everybody's black anyway. So quit trying to change my identity. I'm already who I was meant to be. I'm a black American born and raised. And Brother James Brown wrote a wonderful phrase. Say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. Say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. Because I'm proud to be black. And I ain't never lived in Africa. And because my great-great-granddaddy on my daddy's side did, don't mean I want to go back. <laughs> now, I have nothing against Africa. It's where some of the most beautiful places and people in the world are found. But I've been blessed to go a lot of places in this world. And if you ask me where I choose to live, I pick America, hands down. Now, by and by, we were called Negroes, and after a while, that name was banished. Anyway, Negro is just how you say black in Spanish. <laughs> then we were called colored, which yet everybody's one color or another, and I think it's a shame that we hold that against each other. And it seems like we reverted back to a time when being called black was an insult, even if it was another black man who said that a fight would result, because we've been so brainwashed that black was wrong to leaving the yellow niggas and the black niggas couldn't get along. <laughs> but then came the 1960s, when we struggled and died to be called equal in black, and we walked with pride with our heads held high and our shoulders pushed back, and black was beautiful. But I guess that wasn't good enough, because now here they come with some other stuff. Who comes up with this shit anyway? Was it one or a group of niggas just sitting around one day? Feeling a little insecure again about being called black and decided that African-Americans sounded a little more exotic. Well, I think you were being a little more neurotic. It's that same mentality that got Amos and Andy put off the air because they were embarrassed about the way the characters spoke. And as a result of that action, a lot of wonderful black actors ended up broke. When we were just laughing and having fun about ourselves. So I say, fuck you if you can't take a joke. You didn't see the Beverly Hillbillies being protested by white folks. And if you think, that course you think, that being called African American sets all black people's minds at ease, since we affectionately call each other nigger, I affectionately say to you, nigger please. I didn't get a chance to vote on who I'd like to be. Who gave you the right to make that decision for me? I ain't under your rule or in your dominion, and I'm entitled to my own opinion. Now, there are some African-Americans here, but they recently moved here from places like Kenya, Ethiopia, Zambia, Zimbabwe, and Zaire. But not a brother whose family's lived in this country for generations, occupying space in all the locations, New York, Miami, LA, Detroit, Chicago, even if he's wearing a dashiki and sporting an afro. And if you go to Africa in search of your race, you'll find out quick, you're not an African-American. You're just a black American in Africa taking up space. <laughs> Why you keep trying to attach yourself to a continent where even if you got the chance to go and you went, most people that wouldn't even claim you as one of them, as a purebred daughter or son of them. Your heritage is right here now, no matter what you call yourself or what you say. And a lot of people died to make it that way. And if you think America's the leader on inequality and suffering and grieving, how come there's so many people coming and so few leaving? Rather than all this fine thought with America shit you promoting, if you want to change something, use your privilege. Get to the polls. Come as a voting. 
God knows we've earned the right to be called American Americans and be free at last. And rather than you moving forward with progress, you're dwelling in the past. We struggled too long. We've come too far. And so the folks that know who we were, let's be proud of who we are. We're the only people whose name is always a trend. When is this shit going to end? Look at all the different colors of our skin. Black is not our color, it's our core. It's what we've been living and fighting and dying for. But if you choose to be called African-American and that's your preference, then I give you that reference. But I know on this issue I don't stand alone on my own. And if I do, then let me be me. And I'd appreciate it if when you see me, you say, there goes a man who says it loud. I'm black, I'm black, I'm a black American and I'm proud because I love being an American and I love being black. I love being called black. Yeah, I said it and I don't take it back. It's a good show. <laughs>